This episode is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef's vegan recipes are high in plant proteins and wholesome sides. Go to greenchef.com slash nomeat130 and use code nomeat130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. This episode is also brought to you by Fabulous. Fabulous is a habit-changing app that gives you the tools and skills you need to help you break free of negative habits and build new healthy ones that stick. Get 25% off Fabulous Premium by going to thefab.co slash nomeat. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Nomeat Athlete Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Nomeat Athlete Radio. It is Doug, and today I am with Matt Tolman, who is back with another fun interview. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing great. How you, Doug? Good. I was channeling my inner Matt Tolman uh, over the weekend. We finally got a good snow here in North Carolina, and um, you know we see all these pictures of you and your kids uh, out skiing and sledding and doing all the fun things. And uh, I don't know. It was a uh, it was, it was. It took me back to the times when we were in Colorado together, pre-pandemic, doing some of that fun stuff together. Yeah, I. Uh, I was gonna ask you if you were staying warm, and uh, for the audience's benefit, uh, my three-year-old uh, had his first day of skiing, and by first day of skiing, I mean we went up once, and I <laughs> practically carried him down, hunched over with my legs in a triangular sort of you know uh that that pizza, pizza. slice uh, you don't mm-hmm. right exactly um and uh you know as as someone who thinks of himself as an endurance athlete um not compared to <laughs> maybe the person who i'm talking to um i can tell you it was a really humbling experience um there were muscles in my body that were on fire for like a solid 45 minutes and i didn't even know those muscles existed these strange (laughs) tendons and ligaments in my knees that are like cockeyed inwardly as i'm like i was suffice it to say as usual you know i tried to rip that band-aid and Mm -hmm. just wanted to make sure that he had fun and wanted to do it again so i didn't really and did he did he did he enjoy himself he did he did good we didn't uh we didn't fall at all but it was funny by by the end of it, he would like ask to have a break because like his legs would get you know tired, and I'd be uh-huh. like, "Your legs are tired, my man. Like, <laughs> come on, like you're barely supporting your own weight." <laughs> well, that is that is awesome. I uh, my one of my regrets as a parent is having not gotten my eldest five year old daughter on skis yet, um, but I need to I need to do that. I can't believe she's five. I know it's crazy, right? She must yeah. have just turned five. Uh, December, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I was going to say, I could have sworn that they were a little bit closer, so uh, that makes sense. But, well, uh, you'll, you'll have time, and, and I hope you bring them all out here to do some skiing soon enough. But before we bore our audience to death, I'm really <laughs> yeah, excited. Let's, uh, who, to, uh, who, who do we have on the podcast today? Brian Cateman, um, who's a dear friend and also uh, an awesome promoter of plant-based eating uh and i say that in the in the sense that um he does awesome work but also he's he's a prolific writer now a documentarian um also a founder of a nonprofit organization called the reducitarian foundation um which is 
dedicated to reducing the consumption of animal products, um, mm -hmm. but probably uh, in such a way that may be controversial to a lot of vegans out there um, who, who are a little bit more staunch in their belief and a little bit more cutthroat maybe. <laughs> um, and, and he takes an approach which really resonates with me, um, which is all about meeting people where they're at. In fact, uh, a documentary he just produced called um, Meet Me Halfway, meet spelled M-E-A-T, uh, is all about investigating and talking to and, and learning from different people on different points in that journey, playing different roles in in the um, in the animal agriculture and plant-based uh, foods movements, uh, separately, plural. <laughs> um, but he's also he, he writes for Forbes and is is just a, a deep thinker about these things. So we get into a lot of topics, not just the philosophy around uh, who and how we should be engaging folks uh, in their journey to eat a more plant-based diet, because that is ultimately his goal. Um, but we also get into some of the, the more, um, call it, innovative areas of the, the plant-based economy, um, like cell-cultured and, and fermentation-grown animal products. Um, mm -hmm. So really interesting, because obviously, like, that stuff grosses me out. I don't, I don't really want to eat them. And certainly from a health standpoint, um, you get into a very uh interesting debate maybe it's not so interesting maybe it's pretty clear cut like animal <laughs> products come with all the cholesterol and other other things um at least today they haven't uh you know biologically engineered those out um but then you know it's like why not just eat whole plants and i, I think he brings a really interesting perspective which is to say like hey you know, factory farming is an absolute disaster, right? For the factory workers, for the animals, for the environment. Um, it's hard to say who has it worse in this situation, probably the animals, but you know, it's just, it's a disaster across the spectrum of everyone involved. So it's like today, if we were able to feed the entire planet with cell cultured meat that didn't have that impact on the animals, the farm workers, or the environment wouldn't that be better and of course we're a long way off from that to hit pricing parity um and and the scalable production required but but as a philosophical question it just gets really interesting so so i had fun with this conversation and i really hope our our community will enjoy it as much as i did yeah i've, I've really always been fascinated by that question and uh and I don't know, I've spent a lot of time kind of debating it internally and, and with some friends about, you know, if, if the meat, or I don't know, if that, if that type of meat is better, and of course, from an ethical standpoint, it is, um, you know, but does that mean that we want to invest a bunch of money and resources into kind of creating that? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I just, it's a super interesting debate. So I'm excited to listen to what you guys uh, talk about today and, and um, appreciate Brian for, com for coming on. Cool, let's get into it. Brian Cateman, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of No Meat Athlete Radio. Uh, for those listening who don't know Brian, he is famous or infamous uh, for coining the term reducitarian and started a not-for-profit organization called the Reducitarian Foundation. I think that's probably what you're 
you're best known for your dedication to reducing the societal consumption of animal products. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But but I guess from a day-to-day standpoint, you're more of a, a writer, a thinker, now a producer of a, a documentary called Meet Me Halfway, Halfway and, and you contribute to Fast Company and, and Forbes. Uh, you have a great column in Forbes that we were just talking about. I always thoroughly enjoy. So there's a lot for us to dig into. Uh, but first and foremost, thank you so much for, for spending a little time uh, with us this afternoon. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and to chat with you today. Awesome. Well, I think it's pretty self-explanatory, particularly given the subject nature of this podcast. Um, but let's start with the definition of what is a reducitarian? A reducitarian is anyone who has decided to cut back on the amount of meat, uh, eggs, or dairy that they consume. So this could be a person who is like the average American and eats 200 pounds or so a year of meat and has decided that they want to cut back 10% or 20% in 2022. They're still going to eat, you know, 200 and sorry, they're still going to eat like 150 pounds of meat a year, but they're still a reducitarian. They've made a meaningful commitment to cut back on animal products. Could be a person who is a flexitarian, someone who primarily eats plant-based foods, but occasionally includes animal products in their diet, or it could be a vegetarian or a vegan, but really all of these people fit under the umbrella term of reducitarian. They're all people who recognize whether it's for their health or the environment or for animal issues or food justice issues or a combination of those and others that eating fewer animal products is good. It's good in every sense of the word. And we can make the world a better place if we cut back on the amounts of animal products that we consume. So yeah, that's what a reducitarian is. Awesome. Well, thanks for the, the definition. And now the, the more fun question, um, how, how did you stumble into this line of work? I mean, we all have our interesting journeys, but, but to really dedicate yourself to this, to the extent you have to create a summit, the nonprofit behind it, these documentaries, the, the books and cookbooks you've written, um, what, what was the, the journey here? And, and you can start, you know, at birth or <laughs> at any sort of um, moment in life that, that feels like a good, good start. Nice, broad question to, to help the um, audience uh, get to know you. I love it. Well, yeah, if you'll, if you'll give me uh, five minutes, I can give you the, sh- the short story. Uh, yeah, you know, like many people, I think our origin story starts where we grew up. Uh, I grew up in Staten Island, New York. And for folks who are familiar with New York and particularly familiar with Staten Island, they will know that it's not a particularly progressive place in terms of swanky plant-based eateries or anything like that. But one of the parts I loved about growing up in Staten Island was it was a very green space, a lot of trails, natural spaces, parks, and so on. And so as a young child, I really fell in love with the, the natural world. I cared a lot about the physical environment, but also the animals that were living um, in those spaces. And you can imagine urban biodiversity like raccoons and squirrels um, and whatnot. So when I got to college, I was your typical environmentalist. I would tell people they should recycle, compost, walk instead of drive, don't use single-use plastics, on and on. And eventually, um, I made the connection to food. 
Um, I was actually on my way to present some undergraduate climate change research with some classmates, classmates who were flying from New York to Montana. And I was eating a hamburger at the time, and I think it was in jest, but I'm very glad he did it. My friend handed me a book called The Ethics of What We Eat by Peter Singer and Jim Mason. And that was really the first time I learned about how we raise animals for food in such a way that it negatively contributes to the environmental issues that I cared about. Everything from biodiversity loss to deforestation, to natural uh, resource depletion, to climate change, and so on. And as I kept reading, I was learning about things I had knew nothing about. You know, I didn't know that we raised 9 billion land animals for food in conditions that are very cruel. There's really no word to describe how cruel it is, but just, you know, you can imagine these cages, crates, unable to move around, very, very mutilations, very, very cruel environments. We would never treat my dogs, Toby um, and Cooper like that. And of course they matter in the sense that they experience pain, joy, um, all sorts of emotions. So I don't want these animals to suffer. Um, and then really something I definitely was not thinking about when I was much younger, which was health. Um, realizing that we eat so many animal products and so few, few fruits and vegetables that we see, you know, increasing incidences of diet related illness and heart disease, cancer, certain types of cancer, diabetes, obesity, on and on. And so, you know, I was the kind of kid who wanted to live a life that was in, his, in line with his values. And so I decided that I was going to be vegetarian on my way to being fully vegan. Um, and for the most part, that went really great. I mean, I felt great um, living what I felt was a sort of more aligned um, you know, version of myself in terms of my values, my acne cleared up, which was a cool side bonus. Um, but, you know, I also found myself falling off the plant-based bandwagon, as they say, or the, the tofu train, if you prefer that pun. Um, I was at Thanksgiving and I remember my dad and my, my uncle and my aunt and my mom and my sister and cousins. And you can imagine being at this, this, this table in New Jersey and I remember having this big plate of veggies. I had taken every veggie I possibly could. And my dad started cajoling me. Come on, Brian, it's Thanksgiving. Just have a piece of turkey. And I remember grabbing this little piece of turkey, maybe also in part because I missed eating it. And I threw it in my mouth. And I remember my sister, as siblings will do, immediately started poking fun at me. She was like, I thought you were a vegetarian, Brian. And I remember not having the words to describe uh, how I felt, but how I felt was kind of irked because I was a person who was trying to do the right thing. I was trying to cut back on animal products and I was surrounded by people who were eating well over 200 pounds of meat a year. And I didn't really care about being perfect. That wasn't my goal. I was just trying to make some better choices that were in my own interest and the interests of the planet at large. I had another experience like this at a restaurant with some friends where my friend had left over a piece of bacon and the waiter had came over and took the plate away. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I popped the, popped the piece of bacon in my mouth because I argued it was going to go to waste anyway. And I found myself really not liking the term vegetarian anymore because I was inviting all of this drama from people in my life who, uh, you know, perhaps understandably when I would say I was vegetarian, but was eating animal products on occasion that didn't really add up. Right. 
but that really wasn't what I was trying to do. I was trying to just significantly cut back. And so there were terms like mostly vegetarian and semi-vegetarian and flexitarian. And these words are useful in that they describe people who primarily eat plant-based foods, but occasionally include animal products in their diet. And that's a really beautiful thing. And that describes and did describe my diet. But I also knew growing up in Staten Island, my family and friends, that many of them were very unlikely to become flexitarians or semi-vegetarians or mostly vegetarians. But if they could simply cut back by a small amount, you know, 10%, 20%, maybe participate in Meatless Monday or be a weekday vegetarian or, you know, vegan before six or whatever it is, maybe they would only eat meat when they go out, but at home they wouldn't eat meat. If they could just cut back, that would make a huge difference in terms of this larger goal of, you know, trying to end factory farming. We need to reduce societal consumption of animal products in order to do that. And so, you know, a friend and I, who was going through a similar kind of experience as me, um, realized, well, maybe there's a, a need for this. I mean, we started talking to people and they were like, yeah, like, you know, I'm kind of on board with cutting back. You know, I don't want to be vegan or vegetarian or anything like that. Um, wouldn't it be great if there was a word, a movement, um, you know, identity and, and labels can be very important and they can be very useful if they're, if they're positively constructed. And so we thought about it and came up with the term reducitarian. And that's really the, was the start of a much larger journey in building uh, a movement, building a movement of people who understand that factory farming is highly problematic and we can make the world a, a much better place if we, one, try to cut back ourselves and two, if we're in a position to do so, to work on a societal and institutional lever to um, help advance that larger goal. All right, Doug here, back to interrupt the interview for a minute to thank our sponsors. We've teamed up with Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well with dinners that work for you, not the other way around. Go to greenchef.com slash nomeat130 and use code nomeat130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. Green Chef provides the most sustainable meal kits by offsetting 100% of their carbon footprint and emissions, plus their pre-portioned ingredients mean you'll actually reduce your food waste by at least 25% compared to grocery shopping. Green Chef makes cooking easy so that you can spend less time stressing and more time enjoying delicious home-cooked meals. Katie and I love Green Chef. Matt, I don't know if you have used Green Chef or not, but we love Green Chef nights. Uh, we don't have to worry about deciding what to cook for dinner. They have everything all kind of laid out and, and packaged for you, so you just kind of follow the recipe step-by-step, step and, and there you go. You have a great meal. I, I think it's an awesome way to create more variety because God knows, you know, we, we default to chickpea pasta you know, mm -hmm. and, and some of our staples because, you know, my wife is a phenomenal cook, me not so much. And, um, and she does come up with really, really great uh, ideas. But, um, you know, she works full time. We have two kids, one more on the way. Like it's, it's very easy, just default to like those 10 meals that we just rotate through so i'm really excited to try this out to to just have that sort of forced variety in our in our week <laughs> absolutely my uh, the latest box came with a maple cauliflower power bowl which i never yeah, would see have, we uh, would never exactly no, exactly you're just not going to think of that on a nightly <laughs> no, basis <laughs> that's right with green chef you get hand-picked organic vegetables and premium plant-based proteins so that you can feel great about what you're eating and how it got to your table go to greenchef.com slash no meat 130 and use code no meat 130 to get 130 dollars off plus free shipping this episode is also brought to you by fabulous 
setting new goals, creating and sticking with healthy habits, building a daily routine that can actually you can actually keep. This stuff's not easy. Well, if you're not sure how or where to start, it's time to try Fabulous. Fabulous is offering NMA Radio listeners 25% off Fabulous Premium by going to thefab.co slash no meat. Fabulous is a habit-changing app that gives you the tools and skills you need to feel more productive and fulfilled. They do this by using a holistic approach along with behavioral science that focuses on self-improvement, mental and physical health, mindfulness, and productivity to build a daily routine that works for you. For example, let's say you want to be healthier. Fabulous breaks down the goal into daily tasks like reminding you to drink water or exercise or disconnect or unplug or what would your app, what would it tell you to do? Matt, what do you need to do to feel healthier? Well, that list is long, but I'm a huge proponent of these behavior change apps. And I think the approach taken with Fabulous is absolutely the right one. And I would encourage anyone who has a new habit who wants to uh, engage in, in a holistic approach with, you know, backed by behavioral science. Uh, if that's something that, you know, you're interested in in this new year, I would absolutely take the time to check it out and see if this app works into your workflow. I agree. Becoming a fabulous premium member gives you access to daily coaching, content sessions, unlocks all guided behavior change programs, and lets you add as many habits as you'd like into your routines. Start building your ideal daily routine today with Fabulous Premium. Get 25% off Fabulous Premium by going to thefab.co slash no meat. That's T-H-E-F-A-B dot C-O slash no meat for 25% off Fabulous Premium. All right, with that, let's get back to the interview. You know, it's like our conversations around health have, have branched into like identity politics, right? And and it's all about labels and, and dogma and extremism, um, much like most of our other conversations in society today, unfortunately. <laughs> That's right. But, but um, you know, uh, to our detriment, because we look at it and say, you know, 42% of the country is obese. Uh, you know, I think it's 72% is overweight and obese. So like three out of four of us ostensibly are unhealthy. You know, the most tragic stat is that one out of five children are obese. And so, you know, I think if you shared that with anybody, they'd say like, yeah, there's a tremendous disconnect between, you know, kind of health and where you're at as a society. <laughs> you know, like that's not healthy. Um, but if you present, well, like, what if we change the way we eat, you know, what if we cut down, um, on processed food on, on sugar, like most people are like, yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. And then as soon as you bring up, like, you know, well, what if you cut back on animal products, you know, and it, like all of a sudden it becomes a conversation around like religion, you know, and no one is right. No one's wrong. There's these universal truths and it's just, it's brutal. So I, I certainly commend you for, for trying to cut through the noise uh, with a, a term that many fewer people, I, I think, can take issue with. <laughs> I think <laughs> That's there are right. very few people, you know, who can really argue, you know, be, because you're not being dogmatic. You're actually trying to meet people where they are. And I didn't actually mean to use that phrase. Um but obviously that that is the subject matter of your documentary 
meet me halfway um meet spelled m-e-a-t which i thought was super clever uh and as someone who thinks about branding i gotta commend you for that one but um but yeah just to continue the the story obviously you know you were a writer first a contributor to to these um different uh media giants um but but when did you decide to to create a documentary and, and tell us a little bit more about meet me halfway which is relatively new i think it just came out like within the last three four months if i'm not mistaken it's a blur yeah <laughs> the holidays in there but but it's relatively new i really love meet me halfway our, our new documentary and you know i've always loved um communications I thought I wanted to be a scientist when I was younger. I was really interested in evolutionary biology and thought I would get a PhD and, and do research on those issues in part because I really loved animals uh, that were in the wild. But I realized, you know, just in time, I suppose, that I really preferred communications. I liked communicating scientific ideas, particularly in uh, complex ones and in, in fairly simple ways. And so that's been a cornerstone of my work at the Reducitarian Movement. I've really tried to use all of the different communication tools at our disposal to help spread that message and also recruit um, leaders to help, um, you know, contribute to this movement in a larger way. And so, you know, we've done um, various talks and written lots of op-eds and got lots of press and done social media and paid advertising and published books. And it just felt like a natural additional layer that we could add um, value to was to create a documentary. And so many years ago now, you know, maybe I think it was like six years ago, uh, came up with this idea of doing a, a documentary essentially on the reducitarian movement. And I really didn't know, I, I never really know what I'm doing, to be honest. I'd sort of figure it out along the way, <laughs> um, and, which is, can be, can be challenging at times. Um, but, you know, we, I knew that I wanted a, to be a film that was not a go vegan kind of film. I really wanted it to be um, centered around a shared interest in ending factory farming and reducing consumption of animal products. But what's so cool about the film is because it took so many years to make, it took, it took about four years, um, five years to make, I was growing as a person um, along the way because I was only in my early 20s when I started you know, doing this reducitarian work. And now I'm 32. And, you know, along the way, I learned a ton. And I found as I was undergoing this experience with the film of meeting all these incredible people and going under these, these very interesting experiences, everything from, you know, meeting a, a really amazing farmer in, in Bluffton, Georgia, to trying sell cultured meat for the first time and speaking with all these experts and so on. Um, I really realized the main thrust of the film was a, a kind of around a humility of really not knowing why it is that it's so difficult to get people to eat less meat and asking the question, you know, if, what if we ex accept the premise, what if instead of asking people to eat less meat, what if we can get people to eat a different kind of meat? Um, and so the film really takes on those, those two questions. And I'm really proud of it because it's really one of the few films out there that's not preachy. It's really meant to be um, an honest, um, curious take at those questions. And I think, you know, what actually can be quite challenging for some people is that the film doesn't have a really, you know, it doesn't have a simple conclusion. 
Um, there's an overriding message that we need to end factory farming and there is value in eating fewer animal products, but all the different solutions that are presented, um, and there are many of them, we identify different pros and cons and we can talk about them if that's of interest, but it's really up to the viewer to decide um, where their interests lie and what kind of interventions they want to support. So I, I think it's a, a really good film. Obviously I'm biased. And I hope people will, will check out uh, Meet Me Meet Me Halfway. And, and where would people find aside from Googling it? Anywhere that it's anywhere that films are available for rent. So Apple TV, Amazon, Google Play, Vimeo on demand, YouTube on demand. Um, it's also available to stream for free on Roku and Tubi. Very cool. Um, so you said you over the four years, which is a tremendous amount of time, we're, we're learning and, and growing. If you had just to, to identify one takeaway or two, you know, but, but trying to help you out by, by uh, limiting it, the constraints <laughs> sometimes, you know, um, what, what's the biggest thing that, you know, cause you had so many interesting conversations and I, I won't spoil the, the punchline for folks, but I'm just curious, was there anything that was sort of revelatory like that you just didn't expect but but maybe changed you or is worth sharing you, you can take it in any direction you like well there are definitely a couple things that come to mind i mean the first is really just that telling people to eat less meat is not enough you know i was kind of arrogant in my early 20s i thought you just tell people to eat less meat tell stop with the nonsense around go vegan nobody's going to go vegan just tell people to cut back that's the answer and it turns out it's way more complicated than that telling people to do anything it's not um, you know, necessarily alone going to be a, um, a winnable strategy. So there's certainly that component around being humbled. Um, another is that be very skeptical of people who say that they have the, ans the answer and the only answer. Um, because I was one of those people who thought they had the only answer and it turned out I was definitely wrong. And the more I learn, um, the more I realize that this is really hard, ending factory farming, reducing societal consumption of animal products, it's just really tricky. And so, you know, I meet a lot of people who have a, they're very passionate about their particular viewpoint. And I have, you know, through the years, I've really learned to, to take a step back and kind of look at all the different options that are available to us and acknowledge that there's a lot of uncertainty. We don't necessarily know what the best path forward is. But the good news is that we can diversify our strategies, knowing that and have some humility and simply try to do the best we can. In terms of some specifics, I'll just say, I really loved meeting Will Harris. Um, you know, for folks who see the film, I, I go visit a, a farmer named Will Harris, and he manages a very high welfare, um, certainly sustainable, possibly regenerative um, farm. And, you know, I'm from Staten Island, I'm probably a little sheltered, I had never been to Bluffton, Georgia, felt like the middle of nowhere to me. Um, there were more guns than I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, Will joked that uh, guns are life golf clubs. You can never have too many of them. Such a funny, charming, authentic, passionate, smart person. And I realized through that experience, one, just the, the idea of, you know, um, considering the high welfare regenerative farms as a possible strategy for um, transitioning away from factory farms. 
but really this broader idea of, of finding commonality with people. And of course, that fits the general theme of Meet Me Halfway in terms of dietary change. But there's this broader feeling that I have, and I have it more and more recently, that there's so much division um, in so many pockets of our lives and in the country and world and so on. And when you spend time with people um, and, you know, see them as a human with their own, you know, unique perspectives and backgrounds and at times you'll disagree and you'll, there'll be intellectual conflict, but, you know, these people are also can be really great people. You can learn from them. There's, they know things that you don't. And I just, I'm so grateful that I got to meet Will because he really opened my, my heart and my mind in, in ways that I wasn't expecting. And that's really been the story of the film as a the whole. I just met so many interesting people and underwent so many interesting experiences. And I feel really grateful for that. And I, I, um, I think people will um, take that away when they watch the film as well and hopefully can apply that in their own life. Well, that is awesome. It's so, you know, uh, it's so sad, but at the same time, I guess, inspirational that like at the end of every major intractable societal problem, you know, like humanization or dehumanization, you know, is often like the simple, but, but at the same time, terribly difficult task for all of us, right. To like, to see the conservatives or the liberals, the Democrats, the Republicans, the, the Jews, the Palestinians, whatever it is, like the right. root of so many issues is the process of dehumanization. And as a political science major slash war buff who studied genocide for some strange reason, like, you know, I can tell you the the parallels that you see with our inability to talk about vaccines, or our inability to like talk about diets, you know, it's like, the, these are, I mean, relatively calm things compared to, you know, Rwanda in, in the 1990s. But, but at the same time, like, it's the same process of us versus them. And I think it's awesome that you're trying to break down those barriers and show people and, and get, you know, kind of into that, into that deeper story. I'm glad. I really appreciate that. You know, it can be it can be challenging during these polarizing times. And, and that's really what I experience on the dietary front, too. Right. Um, you know, th there are there's a small percentage of, of vegans who don't like me. There's a small percentage of folks in the regenerative agriculture community who probably don't like plant based meats. There's a lot of tension between all of these different communities and strategies. And my view is that. Um, you know, it's understandable, but it's also a little silly. And if we focus on our commonality, which there's plenty of, we can really get some work done around ending factory farming, which is a goal that we all share. Um, and that's a really beautiful thing and something to be celebrated. And so, you know, we don't always have to collaborate on every little thing if, if it's, you know, not going to support what, what we consider to be the kind of ultimate strategy for winning, but it's really not productive to, um, you know, write people off or be mean or shame them or um, not try to understand their perspective, I feel. So at their, in the, within the reducitarian movement, we try to be um, inclusive in, the, in the, the strongest and broadest sense of the word. Anyone who is excited about ending factory farming um, and shares an interest in reducing consumption of particularly of factory farmed animal products, they are on team reducitarian, uh, I believe. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, I have a, uh, I have a college friend, a very dear friend, and we, we don't agree on veganism, for instance, but he comes at this, this global problem from the perspective of regenerative agriculture is the solution because, you know, we need to maintain our, our soil quality. We need, you know, solutions to, to continue to feed, you know, billions of people. And, and so, you know, he sees animal agriculture as, as part of that solution. And, and so do I, I think, you know, animals have been on this earth for a long time and they, they certainly play a huge part in the ecosystem. I just don't think you should kill them at the end of the process, right? <laughs> like I, I, I fundamentally agree, disagree with the outcome, but but we have some of the most productive and interesting conversations. And I, I just think, you know, I, I hope um, people will come away from this conversation maybe thinking a little bit differently. We've we've gotten through the holidays. There's no more Thanksgiving <laughs> tables, uh, but we will continue to to butt into these, these, uh, you know, other viewpoints. Um, and so, you know, if we can, uh, hopefully, um, take something away from, from the work you do is, is to, to see people as humans first and, and see the differing viewpoints for, for what they are, um, to, to bring this back out and, and maybe focus on uh, some of the really interesting other uh, ideas that, that you are working on. There are two that I, I'd love to touch on. And you recently wrote pieces uh, for Forbes, um, one on cell cultured and, and I guess fermentation grown animal products. Um, and that in itself could be a multi-hour conversation because it is so interesting you know, is it cruelty free, right? Like, well, someone had to prick some animal to get that initial, you know, um, call it the, the mother cells, right? Um, but from there, you know, can you consider that um, to be kind of a cruelty free solution? Pro- probably not. I'm sure there's a lot of vegans out there that would say no. Like, to me, I don't think I can get there. And I'm really curious because you just said you, you tried um, cultured meat. Uh, I'd love to know what your your thoughts are and kind of what we can expect as as I think it's going to be a huge trend um, in the coming you know twelve to eighteen months as a lot of these products become viable or, or commercially available for the first time. Yeah, it's a really good question and it's a great topic. You know, I think the central premise is built around this assumption that people don't necessarily choose food. Most people based on ethics or environmental issues or even their own health. They primarily choose choose food based on price and taste and convenience. And to some extent, social norms, what other people are eating around them. And so if you accept that premise, um, you at least partially kind of give up on on kale. You're you're saying that the vast majority of people, we can't get them to cut out um, Burger King nuggets for a delicious salad what if we could instead offer them meat that doesn't come from factory farming? Um, And one of the strategies would be around cell cultured meat. So you take a cell from an animal. um, You said, you said prick an animal, right? So let's say you take the cell from an animal in that way. And you take that cell and you put that cell in a nutrient dense environment and the cells multiply. um, And 
in time with uh, enough um, cell division essentially becomes uh, muscle or meat, but you're not eating the animal as a whole, right? You're not trying to get the muscle from the animal. You're growing it outside the animal and you don't have all the, the bones and other components of the animal that we don't need. Think about it as a kind of bottom-up experience versus a top-down. And um, from my perspective, this is really great um, because it um, is going to significantly reduce the amount of suffering. So even if there was some suffering, um, um, it's all about comparison, right? Not in my opinion, nothing is, is, is really cruelty free. And this is part of this. I think maybe we would have an interesting discussion about this because kind of my overarching, um, maybe like humorous take of the concept of some of the concepts in veganism and this search for cruelty free, because it doesn't exist. Um, there's, there's always some amount of suffering and pain in the world. And I wish that wasn't the case, but even eating a vegetable, you know, may result in an insect, um, you know, dying. So my goal has never been to create a cruelty-free world. My goal is to significantly reduce the amount of suffering in the world. And I think because um, no, you know, you don't have to kill an animal um, in that process of cell culturing meat. That's a really, really good thing. And that cell can be, of course, divided and used for for a really, really long time. Um, so I'm loved tasting the cell cultured meat. Um, it was from Eat Just. It tasted just like chicken. There's nothing more. It's nothing more complicated than that. It really did taste um, identical to chicken. Downsides are it's expensive, not as expensive as it was a couple of years ago, but not the same price of factory farm meat. And it's an open question of whether it'll ever be price competitive with factory farming. Um, I hope it is. Um, it's also still meat, right? So if someone is concerned about heart disease, um, you know, having 200 pounds of cell culture meat uh, is also not good for you in terms of your own health. So there we go. There's still a reason for people to enjoy kale and fruits and vegetables and whole grains and whole plant-based foods and so on. So, you know, cell culture meat is not a perfect strategy, but in my view, none of them are. They all have some kind of pro and con list. And um, the thing is just the factory farming sucks so much that they're, they're all significantly better. <laughs> and so for that reason, um, I'm really excited about cell cultured meat. Um, but I welcome any, any particular insights that, that you have um, and happy to have a discussion about any other components of, of what I just said. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head and uh, I shouldn't be surprised given the, the reducitarian perspective that you bring, right? That it's not binary. Um, it's not this or that. It's, it's a spectrum. Everything is relative. And when, um, you know, you're starting off from a condition um, that is, you know, so horrendous as factory farming, um, you know, I mean, we could go on and on for, for hours. I'm sure many of the, the listeners of this podcast have done their own research and, and know. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. It's, it's a horrendous situation for, for everyone involved, right? Farm workers and the animals and the environmental impact. I mean, there's there, the externalities um, are significant. <laughs> um, right. So when you're starting off as saying like, hey, this is, this is the standard we have to beat. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> there's turns out you don't have to do much to to get a little bit of an improvement. And to your point, um, you know, if if we can 
start off by drawing the blood of of an animal uh, that that is a relatively benign impact um compared to you know what is it 66 billion animals that we're currently slaughtering per year right so blood draw <laughs> from from one animal and then that can be <laughs> propagated to to hundreds if not millions of of pounds of of meat right cultured over time right as you say it's right. it's too expensive today it's not scalable it's certainly not going to feed the globe tomorrow but i do think it's really interesting because there are those um dogmatic vegans i'm sure i'm going to hear from some of them that would say like absolutely not and, and you know what like i actually agree with them in terms of the outcome um i actually don't believe that we should be investing trillions of dollars into um you know uh cultured meat because to my knowledge right um it's just as bad for you as actual meat and i think a whole food plant-based diet is the ideal way to live right obviously i think you need to complement those with some other nutrients that you might get from an algae right so so it's it's complicated it's nuanced we certainly agree there and and i certainly love the idea of a cultured meat you know as a as a uh, entry point for folks to get away from factory farming it is certainly a solution but but i think it's it's um yeah it's complicated because as much as i i i think we we have to accept it as a, a, an incredible win to be able to get away from you know the horrors of factory farming but on the other hand it's like wait you know, the the outcome may still be the obesity epidemic. It just may be slightly more environmentally friendly and certainly a lot less cruel, which is a huge win. Again, I don't want to underestimate that, but like we're still gonna yeah. have the health component. So it's it's thorny, right? But but a huge win nonetheless. Yeah, you know, and I think not everyone has to work on the same strategy, right? I mean, I think it's perfectly valid if if people want to encourage folks to try more fruits and vegetables. I, I guess I'm more, I'm not a big fan of undermining the efforts of others because they all have different pros and cons. I also yeah. like the idea that like one day when factory farming doesn't exist, um, the, the pitchforks can come out against cell cultured meat. Like I'm imagining one day there's no factory farming. The world is infinitely better. And now the worst thing in the world can, I can only imagine I would dream for this kind of reality. The worst kind of, you know, thing that exists is cell cultured meat, and it's got 80% of the market, you know, share with four companies and the worker labor practices aren't as good as they shouldn't be. God, I would be overjoyed if, if people would then come out with their pitchforks and, you know, and, and cell culture me. Now everybody's, you know, eating more whole plant-based foods. Like we have a long, you know, hope I, I imagine humanity will be around for a while. We're pretty persistent. And so there's a whole many generations of, of, of improvement that I think will happen. And I think it's okay if we take that one step at a time, but I do understand if from a health perspective, cell cultured meat is not as fun. It's not as fun because, <laughs> because it's not as, it's not healthy to eat, you know, hun hundreds of animal product. It's healthy from the perspective of foodborne, you know, illness of, of viruses, um, other con public health contaminations that come from the factory farming model. But I totally um, understand that, that downside. So it, it's definitely complex and thorny, um, but there's really very little that, 
that creates as much suffering as factory farming. So I'm in the, I'll, I'll choose my poison kind of, kind of mentality. And yeah. maybe it's a good thing that there are people who are, um, you know, shooting for, for, for grander visions of a, of a, of a more healthy and sustainable and compassionate world. So, yeah, but we're on this, well, we're all, we're, we're all on the same journey. Yeah. I, uh, I love that, that, uh, that vision for the future right that that hopefully cellular culture and meat um is the uh is the worst thing that we have to to fight against right um right and and to your point right i think that there are those who would argue um there are many many who would argue that um it would be a, some sort of utopia you know, if we could put, um, you know, the environmental issues related to animal-based agriculture, you know, if we could put that to the side in terms of, you know, clearing rainforest for, for you know, um, land, right, and, and using arable land and feeding grain and, and soybean, all these different things for that, that just create this um, incredible waste and environmental uh destruction um if there was a situation in the future where you know those who want to eat uh you know a, a cell-based meat um hopefully they do so in in very very small quantities you know but they're exercising they're eating a you know 80 90 percent plant-based diet we see the obesity rates go down heart disease you know stroke other cerebrovascular diseases, you know, like there, there could be uh, a utopia. So to your point, I think, you know, we need as much money, um, as much uh, brain power going in to, to solve these uh, really big issues. And then, you know, once we solve one, we can, we can focus on the other one. I, I love that. Um, Brian, just to change gears real quick before we run out of time. Um, you also wrote a uh, post about why um, incubators uh, are great for plant-based businesses. And this is a different type of incubator than we're talking relative to cellular uh, uh, cell-based <laughs> um, meat. Uh, this is a, a business incubator, an accelerator. Uh, I, I'm curious, uh, you know, obviously as that is my personal passion, um, what, why, why do you think they're so important for for plant-based businesses in particular? You know, I think there's this really incredible ecosystem that exists right now where if someone wants to do something, you know, to contribute to this world and in, particularly in the context of our goal, right, of, of trying to reduce consumption of animal products and, and factory farming, you know, how do they get started is the question I find myself. And I speak to so many people who want to contribute in one way or another, but don't know how to go about it. And I have also had the experience of starting something and starting multiple projects and always being a little stressed out, a little confused and not knowing exactly what to do. And I'm really grateful for the, the network of support that I've built up over the years. Um, but not everyone has that. Um, you know, they just, they, let's say they, they watch Meet Me Halfway and they want to start a plant-based company, a plant-based meat company, let's say. Uh, how do they go about doing that? You know, where do they get started? What conferences do they go to? Where do they get some seed funding? What if they've never had experience, you know, formulating product and designing packages and thinking about supply chain and, and manufacturing and on and on and on? There are 
systems that exist, there are industries that exist to help kind of make that happen. And it might be that these individuals would succeed with or without an incubator or an accelerator. But I like the idea that these programs give people a jump start and they might even speed up the timeline, right? So maybe, you know, maybe if I had done an incubator or an accelerator for documentaries, it wouldn't have taken me four years. Maybe it would have taken me three years or two years. And that would be a really good thing because I don't have forever on the planet and I want to use my time in the most efficient way possible. So, you know, I think about it in this larger context of there's a lot of support out there for people who want to contribute to the space. And even if they've never done something like this before, if they're eager and excited and, um, you know, want to contribute, there's an opportunity for them to do that. And I think incubators and accelerators are part of that larger ecosystem and part of that larger support um, that exists. And that's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, And perhaps one day there will be a documentary uh, incubator um, that can be your next project. Uh, I it think. might even, it might even exist. I mean, that, right. That's a lesson. Do you, do you do some research before you get started? Right. That's a good, a good lesson for me. There are, there are plenty of resources out there for anyone trying to do something. So that that's a good, you know, incubators and accelerators are a good reminder of, of that. Uh, and I, I do hope um, people are inspired to, you know, you'll appreciate this. I, I sometimes say that while it's important what we put in our mouth, what's even more important is what comes out of it. And by that, I really don't want people to be private reducitarians. I want them to encourage other people to, to, to eat more plant-based. I want them to, when they're in a restaurant and they discover they don't have any vegan options, you know, kindly tell the, the manager, Hey, you know, I, um, I want to come back here, but you guys got to have at least one plant-based option on the menu. Um, you know, think about voting for politicians that care about uh, our food system. Um, if you're insanely wealthy, consider donating money to nonprofits or, you know, investing in uh, in plant-based companies or even cell culture and animal products. I'm all right with trillions and trillions of dollars being tossed into that space. So we'll have to, we'll have to <laughs> disagree on that one. Um, but whatever someone's called to do, if they want to be a lawyer and litigate the hell out of factory farms, whatever it is, there's a real opportunity to contribute. And I love the idea that there's the supportive system to help make that happen. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, for the record, you, you caught me. I, I think I got caught up in the moment. Uh, uh, I, I, I too would love to see quite a bit of investment in cellular based agriculture. Maybe you convinced me of that in thinking about the, the relative value and in, in seeing an end to to factory farming, but I, I take that back. I would love to see it, but I so often wonder, you know, as we are doing these incredible uh, innovations around, um, you know, gene folding, right? We're, we're, we're spending all this money on cutting edge medical interventions. And I, and I sit back and I say like, gosh, for, for a fraction of that, if we could just figure out the tools to communicate to folks that like, you have so much more power in your hands to um, uh, direct the outcome of, of your life, your health journey, because so much of it is, is are these pillars of lifestyle medicine, whether it's uh, stress management or social connection or good sleep hygiene, or of course, the probably most important, um, what you eat and, and how you move your body every single day 
you know, th- those are so cheap and, and that's going to have such a, a massive impact. So, so I think I was, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, applying that, that kind of logic and saying like, man, you know, we're, we're going and creating these amazing uh, cell-based meats, but, but we're not, you know, focusing on the underlying health problem, which is of course my, my passion, but you're right. I stand corrected. I would love to see trillions of dollars go into that sector because you're right we need lots of people attacking the problem in lots of different ways um and i hope uh you know me coming to to terms me seeing uh the world from your perspective is exactly you know the place to end this <laughs> well, conversation right it's it's meeting halfway <laughs> well let me just say that you're also right because as much as i want society to move away from factory farms i also have personal goals right like i really love my dad and heart disease runs in our family. My uncle, my sorry, my grandfather had a heart attack at 59. I don't want my dad to eat 200 pounds of salt cultured meat, right? I really do want him to eat more vegetables and fruits because I love him and I want him to be on the planet um, a longer time. So there's totally these kind of mixed um, mixed incentives. And that's why I love plant-based foods, especially whole plant-based foods, because they're really the the ultimate answer in a sense. They're less resource intensive. They don't involve any animal uh, cruelty in the, in the con- conventional sense with factory farms. Um, um, they're good for people in, in, from a health perspective. And so, you know, of course, um, I'm on board with your perspective too, in a sense. And I play it out in my life. And I'm a person who tries to eat many whole, you know, whole foods. I try to encourage my dad to keep drinking his kale smoothies. He's making progress on, on his front after all these years, which is very exciting. So, you know, it's, we're all so passionate about this cause. We want um, to, to, to make the world a better place and it's really messy. And I'm just glad that there are so many different strategies at our disposal and we need different people working on different strategies, using different messages. We need some people telling people to go vegan. We need some people telling people to eat less meat. We need some people creating, you know, delicious whole plant-based meals and, and also having plant-based food products at, at fast food restaurants and the full gamut. And so I'm um, very much grateful for your perspective. And I hope I didn't steal your thunder, but I, I had to at least meet you halfway too on, on this particular point. Not at all. I think uh, that's a, like I say, great, great place to end to show that, uh, you know, we need to have a thoughtful conversation because this stuff is complicated and only getting more complicated um, with all this technology uh, that, that is driving our food and, and obviously the externalities of that, that, that process, right? Um, so, uh, Brian, thank you so much. I, I know we're just about out of time. So um, is there anywhere that you'd like to direct folks who want to learn more? You mentioned Meet Me Halfway, totally worth seeing. And it's uh, streamed everywhere. Videos are streamed. <laughs> um, where else can they find more information about you or connect with you? Well, check out reducetarian.org, R-E-D-U-C-E. T-A-R-I-A-N.org. If you misspell, it'll probably still get to us. We have every domain under the sun. And you can email me, uh, Brian at reducetarian.org. I'd love to hear from you um, if there's anything I can do to help on your journey of uh, being a part of this movement. Please reach out to me. And hey, thanks so much for having me. It was really great to chat with you, Matt. And I'm, I'm looking forward to um, listening to future episodes. And yeah, I really appreciate all that you do. 
Awesome. Well, thanks for saying that. Thank you for making time. And you didn't mention your your Forbes column, uh, which I it really is one of the few things that that I uh, um, make time to to read on a regular basis. So I encourage folks to to find their way as well. But Brian, thanks all uh, for all that uh, this afternoon um, and all the work that that you do. Thanks again. Appreciate it.